exciting. You know, it's not easy to be a father, I know. I have three kids of my own, and I remember the first time our, our, we had our daughter, the, the only time we had our daughter, actually, but um, <laughs> we, I went in, I didn't grow up changing babies. I didn't grow up around babies a lot, except for being a baby myself. I was the, I was the baby of the family, and so I uh, went in to go change my daughter's diaper for the first time. And I was a little unsure of myself because I'd never done anything like this before. So I got the tarp out and I got my gloves on. Of course, I had my hazmat suit on. And so I was there I'm going in, carefully trying to change the diaper, like, like brain surgery, making sure that I was going in to change the diaper well. And then it happened. I got poop on my finger. And so I'm freaking out, like running around the house, I got poop on my finger, and I could be like washing my hands, like taking care of it, but instead I'm screaming that I've got poop on my hands. So (laughs) anyways, it took a while for me to learn how to change the diaper, but days and weeks and months went by, and I became a a baby changing expert, and I I could throw up my daughter in the air, and then she'd come down in the new diaper. I was a a, a diaper-changing ninja, and... Then my son came along, Mateo, sitting in the front row, and uh, I went to go change his diaper, and I thought, okay, well, I can lay the hazmat suit down because I don't need it anymore. I'm an expert now. I'm a diaper-changing ninja. And so I go to change his diaper and didn't realize that boys have little squirt guns down there. And so I was leaning over and went to go change him, and, you know, up it came. And when I was surprised, of course, I opened my mouth. And so, you know, guys, it can, it can, be, it can be hard. It can be, <laughs> he's leaving. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I thought he was good with it. <laughs> um, but uh, it can be hard, guys. It can be hard, right? Uh, but we've got to get our hands dirty. Being a father is about getting our hands dirty dirty, about getting in and serving our kids and helping them to be what God has called them to be. And so I want to honor all the guys here this morning who are fathers, who are faithfully serving their wife and their kids, who are faithfully involved. Guys, thank you for doing that, because honestly, it's too rare that that's happening today, that one in three families, by conservative estimates, are without the biological father in the household. I would say it's probably closer to 40%. In some communities, it's even up to 60%. John Kitna, the football coach of Lincoln High School before he left, he said that 80% of the kids in Lincoln High School are touched by fatherlessness. And so there's a lot of it going on, and it makes a big difference um, in, in the lives of people. So we need to not shrink back. We need to not shrink back from our role of being a father, because God has called us to be a father. So I want to give a charge to fathers and really all men today that we would stand up and be the leaders of the family and the communities that God has called us to be. Because in Hebrews 10, 38 to 39, he says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are are saved. You see, being a father starts with understanding the father heart of God by faith, seeking the father heart of God, of of our heavenly father by faith. In 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 18, it says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God presents himself as a parent. 
He says that he's a father. Jesus called him Abba, Father. He means he called him Daddy. And God is a relationally oriented and relationally driven God. He is a lover. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. Not that he has love, but that he is love. That's the essence of who he is. But God's love is not a passive love. It's an active love. And so in Jeremiah 31, 3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In other words, I have continued to pursue you. I've continued to follow after you. God's love is an active love. And God wants to, to see that love created. The God who is, is a lover, who is love, is also an aggressive creator. And he wants to fill his, this earth with people who love him and love each, each other. He wants to see people learn how to love. And what God created for that is God invented this thing called the family to teach kids how to love. That's the goal of parenting. And so... In Ephesians 4.13, it says uh, that we will be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will be, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You see, we, we want to show the love. We want to show the love of God. But God also wants us to recreate that love in, the, in our kids and helping them to learn to be like the image of God in loving him and loving others. And so we see this, in this verse, there's, there's two ways that, that parenting, that talks about parenting. First, in verse 14, it talks about boundaring, what I call boundaring. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. See, we need to learn how to teach our kids how to say no, how to put boundaries up to people for the people that would be unhealthy to them, that would harm them. That's boundaring. That's teaching them how to say yes and how to say no to people. But then also we need to, to teach them bonding. It says in verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, that we would speak the truth in love. So we would say truth. We would say, yes, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. This is who I'm going to be. This is who I'm not going to be. But we would learn how to do it in love. And that I call bonding. So there's boundaring and there's bonding. And boundaring is, is about responsibility. It's about saying, what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility? It's about who I'm going to be and who I'm not going to be, what I'm going to be committed to and what I'm not going to be committed to. That's, that's boundary. Bonding is about strong attachments, learning how to build intimate relationships, learning how to trust, learning how to do all of these different things. And so that's boundary and bonding. And the way we do boundary is by disciple, discipleship. Discipline is close to the word discipleship. Discipline is meant to be training, correction. It's helping our kids learn how to set boundaries to the right and to the left so they'll continue on the path towards God and what God has called them to be. That's boundary, that we would set those things in place, that, we, that our kids would begin to, to do that. And so what we need to teach our kids is not, how to, not to tell them yes or no, but to teach them how to say yes and no to, them, to themselves, 
how to develop the internal motivation to be able to, to follow what's right for their lives, to be able to, to suffer, even suffer the results of their own actions, of their own consequences, so they might begin to, in, to develop an internal motivation, internal boundaries. And the way we do that is by creating external boundaries, by boundarying them so that they'll have those internal boundaries, that internal motivation, so they can develop the strength and the structure of character within them, that as they grow older, they can begin to encounter some situations and say yes and no, and so that they'll begin to follow the right path. But the problem is, is that oftentimes we don't live up to those things. We don't teach them well, or we're even absent. And the impact of, of absence of, of either parent is drastic on the kids. The absence of the mom means that the kids will have difficulty developing intimacy in their relationships. They'll have di- difficulty trusting people. They'll have diff- difficulty bond- building strong attachments to other people. And that's, the, that's when a mom is not present. But when a father is not present, when the boundarying part that a father provides is not present, this is what happens. Four time, that children are four times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more, beha- more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. You see, we need to teach men that fatherhood doesn't end at conception. That what it takes to be a man, what it takes to be a father, is, is not the ability to have a child, it's the courage to raise one. And so we need that, so it's really affecting the foundations of our community. And we need to be able to, to teach men how, we, how, do, how do we not shrink back? How do we own this role of being a father? And how do we move forward in beginning to, to teach our kids how to say yes and how to say no in their lives? That's what we, what we need to help people to do. And so I want to look at three reasons why we shrink back from, from the uh, responsibility of fatherhood. First, we're scared. We get scared. You know, you go to Ikea, and you go and you get a table at Ikea, and it comes with instructions. But you go to the hospital, they deliver a baby, and they don't give you instructions. They're like, here, go figure it out. And it's infinitely more important than a table at Ikea. And so we, we don't know how to do it. And so we, we get scared because we say, oh, I don't know how to do this. This looks really difficult. I don't know if I have what it takes. And so I remember, again, with my kids that there was crying, there was screaming, there was whining. And my kids did some of that too in the process. And it was, it was really, really difficult to learn how, how do I parent these kids. And I was scared. I, I, when I first held my daughter, I thought that she was like a porcelain doll. If I dropped her, she'd shatter. And that was it. And, and so I was, I was afraid. What does it mean to be a dad and to do all these things? And so growing up, you know, I'd, I'd play video games some. And I knew that when, when I had a problem with a video game, I could push pause. And then I could go figure it out. But there's no pause on a baby. Babies just keep crying. And things just keep coming. But in the midst of that, when I had to learn how to deal with that, I began to develop greater character in myself. I began to deal with real-world problems. And the problem with, with media and a lot of problems with a lot of, of men today is that they grew up as, as boys, always on video games, always on media, on cell phones. 
And so they didn't learn how to deal with real problems. They were only dealing with virtual problems. And so they were stepping back from the real world issues. Hashtag the struggle is real, right? The struggle is real. We've got to deal with the real world problems because it's in dealing with the real world problems that we develop character. And so God doesn't tolerate passivity. God doesn't want passivity because passivity allows evil. Passivity allows evil in our lives. God will match our effort, but he won't do our work for us. Grace will cover failure, but grace can't cover a lack of trying. It's in, it's the, the, the problem is not trying and failing. The problem is failing to try. See, it's in trying and failing and trying again that we learn and that we grow and that we build character and that we begin to learn how to deal with real-world problems. But when we, when we fail to try, when we don't even try, then we can't learn. We can't develop, develop a strength of character to be able to deal with some of these problems. And so God won't tolerate passivity. The following passivity is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service you. times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. That's who you are. That's, what, that's the only thing you're going to take with you from this world. And, if, and that's what God wants to see you develop. And you can only develop that in real-world situations where you can begin to see what God wants to do in your life. I've heard that a baby bird, if, you, if, you hatch, try to, if it's trying to hatch out of the egg and you try to hatch for it, break the egg, the bird will end up dying because it won't develop the strength it needs to be able to face real-world situations. That's what's happening and so we, we're coming up with excuses of, I can't be a father because I didn't see it from my father. Or I can't be a father because I have such a bad past. Or I can't be a father because it's just really scary to me. Or I don't have, have time. And so we're coming up with all these excuses. And yet we don't know, if we don't go, we won't grow. I remember a time when I was thinking about coming to, to be a pastor. It was actually at the last church I was at. And... God told, and as I was going there, I was like, no, I don't want to go at this church, and I wanted to go to a more urban church, and this was a more, in a more suburban area, and as I was driving up to my interview for the church uh, in Snoqualmie, I heard God say to me, Josh, if you don't commit, you won't grow, and what I realized is, is that if I didn't commit, I, if I didn't try to face my problems, then my problems would always follow me, and they wouldn't just follow me in church, but they'd follow me in every relationship. And they would follow me wherever I went. And so if we don't face up to our problems, our problems will always be with us. But that's not the kind of God we serve that would want us to continually be, be ba- have the baggage of problems with us. We have a God that wants to see us set free. And so how can we come up with excuses when we have a God that has infinite resources, that has infinite power to deliver us from anything that might hold us back? A God that wants to come into your life and says, if you, whatever you're facing, I have the resources to be able to pull you up, to be able to help you out, to be able to help you move forward and to help you lead your family. And so we've got to follow a God like that, that will be there with us through the thick and through the thin, through the trials and the tribulations of life, come hell or high water, that will lift us out of those difficult places of life and help us to follow him, to know that he is good and that he is able to help us in the midst of all of this. 
And so we've got to be able to grow. And so we can't be scared. And what we're also, think, something that helps us to shrink back or that makes us shrink back is, is our ignorance. That we're ignorant of, of what we're supposed to do. And so it can be confusing to be a man and much more a, a father in our culture. You look at all the different cultural stereotypes. You look at Homer Simpson. You look at Peter Griffith. You look at uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. You look at all these different portrayals of what a father is on media. And a lot of them are making the father out to be an idiot. They're making the father out to be irresponsible. They're making the father out to be a bad role model for his kids. And so it can be confusing. And like I said, a lot of people grow up without a father. And so we don't know how to do it. So there, it can be confusing. Under the weight of the confusion of what it means, we can oftentimes just give up and say, I, I don't know what to, how to do it, and, and so I'm not, I'm not going to engage. Maybe it's you're, 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 you're angry at your kids and your father yelled at you, and so you don't, you don't want to yell at them, and so you just don't even, don't even bother to take care of it. But these are the situations where we need to continue to engage, continue to try to move forward by looking at biblically what does it mean to be a father. And again, Ephesians 5 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now what does that mean? Paul goes on. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Now, Christ is calling the, the husband, the father, as the head of the family. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean the head is like a dictator or a CEO? No. The Bible also says that we're sub to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're to submit to one another. But the husbands and the fathers are the head in the sense that they're like Christ. And what was the leadership of Christ? It was a leadership of, of servant leadership. It was the one where he took the initiation to say, yes, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to be able to step forward and to be, try to win my bride, which is the church, to, so that I might make her holy and spotless and blameless. That's the kind of leadership that guys need to have. And so under that, um, under that leadership, I find three things that all begin with P, because I work hard on these things. Helps me to remember them. Hopefully you too. First, uh, a man provides protection. By give, so the Bible talks about we, we give himself up. The, the man gives himself up for her, for the wife. And, and uh, so as guys, we need to give ourselves up for our wives, give up our desires, give up um, a lot of our fears, give up a lot of the things, and put ourselves in front of, of our family to protect them. That's what Christ did. He died for the church to protect her from sin and death. And so as men, we need to be willing to die for our families to protect them. And so, you know, you go, you hear a noise at night, and uh, the, it's, the, it's the guy going downstairs. My wife asks me to, to check the doors every night to make sure that they're locked. Now, this isn't a, a part of the, the relationship that necessarily needs to be egalitarian. Maybe the, um, you know, the, the, the husband says to the wife, you know, I checked the noise last time. It might be a burglar, but go ahead. It's your turn. It's your turn to go check it out. No, this isn't, the man should be down there. Even if his wife is a black belt, 
and she can give a roundhouse kick to that guy. He still needs to be helping her out. If, she, if he wants to let her go down, and, but he should still be by her side, helping her to kick that burglar down and kick him out of the house. Um, so men, we, we need to be a protector. We need to protect our families. Uh, but also we need to be a provider uh, in our families. We need to, to help be the, be the ones that provide. Now, again, this doesn't mean that the man needs to make all the money. I know other men where the wife makes way more or the wife, or the, the wife even works and the man stays home. And it doesn't even need to mean, need to mean that the, the husband does the budget. My wife does the budget in our family because she's a better manager of that. And so she does that. But what it does mean, men, is that we need to be the, have final responsibility for the provision of our family. That we need to say the, the buck stops here. That we are not going to pass the buck to anybody else when it comes to the final responsibility of our families being provided for. That if, 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 if our wife works and makes all the money, great, let her do that. But if there's turmoil, if there's a, a, a problem, men, we need to take the initiative to say, okay, how are we going to work it out? How are we going to work this out? It doesn't mean, again, that we need to make all the decisions. It means that we need to take the initiative to start the discussion and say, I am going to hold this as my responsibility and be, take the initiative and make it happen and do it. Finally, and this one I find really uh, actually interesting, is men provide purpose. So they provide protection, provision, and purpose. There's a really interesting like title to this survey. It's called The Demographic Characteristics of the Linguistic and Religious Groups in Switzerland. Not, right? <laughs> That's boring. If you ever want to fall asleep, just read that title. But one of the things was really interesting from this is it looked at, asked the question whether a parent's religion carried to the next generation. And so it looked at the father and the mother, uh, their, their attendance at church, and then where the kids ended up in their attendance at church as they got older. And what it found that um, if the father and mother are regular attenders, 33% of the kids are regular attenders, 41% are irregular attenders. If the father is irregular but the mother's regular, 3% are regular attenders, 59% are irregular attenders. If the father is non-practicing and the mother is regular, 2% of the kids are regular attenders, 37% are irregular attenders. Now the interesting thing if the mother actually goes down, the fathers and the father goes up, actually the, the percentages go up. So if the father is a regular attender and the mother is an irregular attender, 38% of the kids are regular attenders. If the father is irregular and the mother's non-practicing, 44% are regular attenders. If the father's irregular and the mother's not practicing, 25% are regular attenders and 23% are irregular attenders. So what we looked at, what this survey found, is that if the father um, is, if the father attends, or the, actually, sorry, if the father is not practicing, if both of them aren't practicing, actually, if the father's not practicing, regardless of what, what the mother does, one in 50 of kids will, will attend church. If the father is a regular attender, regardless of what the mother does, two-thirds to three-quarters of the kids will attend church. If the father is an irregular attender, regardless of, of the mother, one-half to two-thirds of the kids will end up going to church. See, the mother is super important. The mother is the most important when it comes to intimacy and nurture and care. 
But the father is, is, all, is also really, really important when it comes to differentiation from the home. So when the kids are going off to school, when they're going out into the world, they look to their father as the role model for how they do that. They look to their father for purpose and direction and how do I engage this world and what do I do? And so that's why when we think back to those other stats that I read earlier, it makes sense that kids are going off, going astray because they didn't have the father in the household to keep them there. They, they look to fathers for, for their church attendance. So guys, if church seems not very important to you, guess what? It's not going to be very important to your kids either. Then we need to realize that. That as guys, they are looking to you, not to the mom. Maybe the wife is going to church every Sunday. Great, keep doing that. But guess what? They're seeing you stay at home. And they're seeing you, and what you do, your actions, is telling them what's important. And you're telling them that God is not important in their lives. And so we need to hold that. I got some, um, I got some notes from my kids this morning for Father's Day. And it just really, really uh, impacted me to, to know how important it is for us to, as dads to engage with our kids and to be there with them and to be there for them. And so, dad, you are a role model and you're important and you're needed and your kids need you. They might not tell you because they're young, but they desperately need you in their lives. And so spend time with them, do things with them, hang out with them. That's all they want. They want you. They don't want what you can give. They want you. And so the last thing that, that pulls us away is that we're narcissistic. We're narcissistic, which means that we end up focusing on ourselves to the exclusion of other people's desires and, and wants and needs. We focus on ourselves. And, and so we do that, and, and in doing that, we, we get distracted from our family, from what's most important. We get distracted with careers. We, uh, we want to provide for our family financially, but oftentimes, how are we providing for our family emotionally? How are we providing for our family relationally? There's n- it's not just our finances. We get distracted with things that cause moral fail- failure, like pornography, or like um, drinking, or like a lot of other things that are, again, we're being role models for our kids. We get, we get distracted with just being tired, with wanting to come home and turn on the TV and not engage because we're tired when we spent the rest, most of our week giving our best to everyone else and leaving our family the leftovers. And so we need to stop being distracted and narcissistic and things and start being responsible because ultimately, fathers, because God has placed you as the leader of your family, you will stand before God as finally responsible for your family. You, will, you are the ultimate one that God will look to to say, how did your family turn out? And so there's two other roles I want to look at um, for men. One, that men are, are the spiritual providers for the family. Men are the ones to disciple their kids. God has called you to be the one to, to step up and to help them to, be, to, to follow the Lord, to follow uh, his ways. And so are you, are you defining for them what it means to be a Christian? Are you defining for them what it means to have character? What it looks like to follow some of the positive things in their life, the way that, ways that God would have for them. And then also men are the spiritual protectors. Are you talking with your wife about standards? How low you're going let to let your daughter's neckline be? Or what kind of media you're going to let in the house? Or what kind of other things? Who, who you're going to let your, your children hang out with? 
setting standards as the spiritual protector of your household, that you would begin to follow God. But also as the spiritual protector, you are the one that's there for the relationship. The, the Ephesians 5 talks about um, husband and wife as, as Christ and the church. And what did Christ do? Christ died for the church. And he died to make all things new. He died to take the initiative for forgiveness. Men, are you letting your, your, your arguments keep going between your kids, between you and your wife? Or are you the one taking the initiative to initiate the, the process of forgiveness? Because it's important, again, as we stand before God, that we would begin to see that it's the relationship, the, the status of our family ultimately falls on your shoulders. Christ is the one who took the initiative to make all things new. And so we need to be the spiritual protectors as well. So let's sum, sum that up. We were, we, the three reasons, the three things that, that make men shrink back from our role of fatherhood is, is one that we're scared, that we're ignorant, and that we're narcissistic. That's S-I-N. Ultimately, it's sin. It's sin that keeps us back. And that sin has been nailed to the cross. And so for us to be great leaders, we need to be great followers, great followers of Jesus. That, that starts, it starts from leading from your knees, that you, would, that you would pray to God, that you would begin to follow him, that you'd begin to connect to him, because he is the God of infinite resources. He is the God with, with whom all victory lies. And so as you follow God, you'll begin to see him develop in you the character you need to be able to lead your family well and to be able to, to follow them and, and to have them actually follow you. And so a lot of times, guys, you know, we, that's, that's how it starts. Um, but Jesus told us to take up our cross. He said, take up your cross. But what he didn't mean is to take up your cross of sin because that cross has already been dealt with. Jesus already dealt with our sin. And so we don't need to take up our cross daily for our sin. That, that was too big of a cross for us to bear. But we do need to take up a cross daily of our selfishness and begin to follow God. So like I said, that's, that's where we start as a great leader by being a great follower. But also, I think guys, another thing that guys need, a lot of times what gets us distracted, is that we want to we be for adventure. Guys have this strong drive for purpose um, in us. Now, women do as well, but I feel like that's, that's something for guys. We're looking for adventure. We're looking for the next big thing. Well, guys, the biggest adventure you have is your family. The biggest adventure you have is to train up your kids and to help them to be the next generation. We are, the biggest fight that we have is to develop ourselves and to d develop others, to develop people. That our families, our communities, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of problems, and there, we, we as a church, we want to face that. We want to stand up and say, we are going to be a church that is going to shine Jesus out to families, shine Jesus out to communities, because we know that where, when Jesus can change people's hearts, lives can change. Lives can be transformed. Families can be healed. Communities can be brought together, and things can happen that will glorify God. That's the kind of church we want to be. And I want to let you know that as you continue to journey with us, we want to support you. We want to love you. We want to help you. And so we pray that as, as the fall comes, we're going to be seeing more men's things, more things happening. And I'm really excited about all of them. But I, but I know that men, we are for you. And we want to be with you in, in this because we know it's hard. We know it's hard to father. So um, just wanna, if you guys want to stand up, I'd love to pray. Pray us out.
God, thanks for this message. Thanks for this talk, Lord, that we might begin to learn what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, and that we would take the mantle of leadership on our shoulders, God, knowing that because of this, Lord, your love is sufficient, that it's able to help us, God, that your wisdom is enough to be able to help us in any circumstance. But God, I pray that you would begin to lift up the men of this church, God, that this would be a masculine church where men can come and find hope in Jesus, God. Thank you, Lord, for all of this. In your precious name we pray, amen.